Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift's podcast, episode 52. Got back with me, Ollie. Ollie, welcome. How's it going? Hi, mate. Thanks for having me back. Uh, third time, I believe. Yeah, we've I done, so. it's funny actually, I just realised before we did last year, we did pre the Rona and we've, we're doing post the Rona now. <laughs> yeah. Or should I say, sorry, I, I shouldn't rub it in. It's post the Rona for me, but it's not. Uh, I know, I know. Ollie's in a public place right now. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie's out of the house. <laughs> I'm, I, uh, for, for all listeners, I'm actually in a public office at the moment, believe it or not. And there's another, hu- there's another human in here with me. So jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie gets to breathe outside air. This is this is it's like some kind of post-apocalyptic world I'm in right now. <laughs> Ollie survived. <laughs> I'm, I'm from the future. I'm not you know what to do. <laughs> uh, brilliant. But yeah, no, great to have you back on. And uh, we're going to talk some shit today about um, diet. Awesome. And we're going to start off talking about adherence to diet. What are the major factors? So this is um, this has been an area of interest for me. Uh, quite a lot recently because I've been delving into the psychology of fat loss research and mm. looking at the idea of, well, we know what causes fat loss. We know that calorie deficit is there, but the biggest issue with diets right now is actually getting people to stick to them long-term, mm. short-term. And that's really where the large majority of the, of the future research, I think, should be pushed towards. But it's not typically what they teach people in nutrition courses. It's not typically what nutritionists will we'll talk about coming straight out of university and they'll talk about the X's and O's in terms of calorie deficits. So um, adherence, Holly, do you want to start us off down a path on that? Yeah, 100%. Um, I guess I always sort of use the example of the office dieter um, where they'll eat, you know, what's normal for them, which we've discussed previously is usually pretty healthy. And then they'll go on to some crazy 1200 calorie uh, protein and fats only uh, veggies, type of diet um which you know to be fair for bodybuilders for the last couple of weeks before a show maybe it's doable but for your average average uh, joe um it's just not something they can adhere to um so i think the first point we should probably point on is the diet itself has to be somewhat balanced and also um the right amount of uh, calories macros etc etc um the person to actually be able to stick to it and that would develop um it would depend on their level of development and um i guess where they're up to whether it's a six-week diet for your holiday or if it's the last six weeks before the mr olympia um sort of thing what do you think yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to expand on a point there a couple of things actually first one you you're at the end you mentioned balanced let's take for my interest let's take joe public Okay, Joe, your average guy, 13, 14 stone, whatever, fairly overweight, doesn't really train that much, bit of a weekend warrior. What are you going to want to see in terms of a balanced diet? Oh, for me personally, um, you're going to want to see a good split for them um, in terms of macros, your protein, carbs, fats. Um, obviously, that might be quite generic from the start if you've never worked with them before, but it would be a, an approach that's geared towards... Um, protein and fats more so than maybe having still having carbs in, you know, maybe 20, 25%. But just because if we're talking about someone natural, they'll still always need to have, you know, 50, 70 grams of fats, whatever it technically is, um, just to make sure uh, natural hormones are producing and whatnot. Um, And obviously we want to be hitting a good amount of different food types and um, getting all the nutrients and whatnot from fruits, veg, fiber, et cetera, et cetera. So 
it, it is something you can sort of build up, and I guess it's something we'll talk about later um, when we're discussing sort of meal plans versus if it's macros. Um, it, is, it dips in quite nicely to both of those. So just going to stick with that for a second then. If we look at, say, protein amounts, um, so there's a couple of different school of thoughts on this. I tend to prefer err on the higher side with my clients for the reasons of satiety and also muscle retention. Um, when I say higher side for my gen pop, I'm looking at probably just about a, a gram to a gram and a quarter per pound of body weight. So for a 200 pound man, probably something like 200, 250 grams. That's it. What, uh, what, what do you reckon? Where, where yeah, you? Uh, I, I think that's definitely about right. As you said, if we're still talking about average Joe here, I think um, a pound for body weight is pretty much perfect. Um, just because obviously they perhaps could do better with more. But if you take someone that's never really been on a proper diet before and then throw them on 400 grams of protein every day, <laughs> first of all, their stomach is going to scream. And <laughs> also, they're going to find themselves probably struggling eating all the, the meat, um, eggs and whatnot that will come with that. So I think one gram of body weight is definitely a, a good starting point. And as I said before, I guess we'd sort of start with the basic diet and then tweak it as you would as a coach, you personally, um, over the coming weeks, months, et cetera, et cetera. So what would be the exceptions to the uh, gram per pound? Like who would have less, who would have more? Um, someone insanely obese, someone at 500 pounds, I don't think yeah. you'd be putting them on 500 grams of protein. Yeah. In terms of that, I would say with very obese clients, what I tend to do is lowball it a little bit and work it out via lean body weight mass. Um, mm. Just estimate at some points, it, at some points, it becomes really hard to estimate body fat percentage. And, you know, it, if someone's that overweight, and I do have clients who are, who are that large, um, it, it becomes a mute point, really. So I just have a best guesstimate and work it out mostly based on satiety. So it is less. So say if someone's 200 pounds, but probably approaching 50% body fat, I'm probably going to have their protein set at about 125, 150. Yeah. Just, just because their calorie level is going to be super low anyway. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point, actually. Yeah, and in, in terms of like higher intakes, what would you, what would you, where would you go with that? Um, if we're taking it away from um, the average Joe, if we're looking at you know bodybuilders that are whether it's they're prepping or in a full-on off-season um, growth phase and they're utilising other supplements, should we say, quote unquote, um, then there's definitely room for that to be pushed, and I think although there's not loads of necessarily evidence of bodybuilders and where they should be, there's quite a lot of opinion on anecdotal evidence and, and that sort of thing. Like me personally, I'm, oh, what am I now? I think I'm 230 pounds um, and I'm eating just over 300 grams every day. So what's that? 1.3, 1.4 grams. Hey, you're looking lean at 230, man. Ah, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, it must be those three gym sessions I've just done. From, uh, <laughs> our, uh, our gym's just opened again uh, four yeah. days ago. So I've done legs, pull, push. I've got a rest day today. I wanted to train today, but literally, as you can imagine, everything hurts. So, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> apart from, like, apart from like, my forearms. Um, <laughs> I'm, in bit, I'm in bits at the moment. <laughs> what, um, what do you, what's your experience been with uh, women in protein intake? Because that's varied for me quite a lot. I'll say with... With two of my women athletes, the ones who are doing really heavy resistance training, a lot of work during a week, um, their protein intakes tend to be sky high, uh, just through preference. Yeah. 
weirdly enough. I've got one girl, she just loves eating meat. And she's on about, she's, she weighs about 130. And God bless her, she's on about 190 protein a day. And I'm like, oh, great, really? you crack on. It works for you. She's got a good appetite then. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have too much experience with women. Um, but like you said, I have seen it vary almost just as much. But I guess because uh, in the grand scheme of things, they are a lot lighter to start off with. Um, I guess that could be a factor to look into if they're... I don't know, a 95 pound, 100 pound, maybe bikini competitor or something like that. I could actually see the protein being a little bit higher than a gram per pound. Um, uh, and then I'm actually not too sure because I don't know if this is sexist, but I think the average woman, it might be harder to get them to eat the right amount of protein if it was a, an average Joe or a average Josephine, shall we say, yeah. in this instance. Um, is that something you might have found? Like if, yeah. if they're maybe 140 pounds or something, would, would the 140 grams be as easy for them as with a male, if that sort of makes sense? I don't know whether what it is, whether it's a combination of, and I'm going to talk in massive general strokes here. I don't know if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's sort of like a societal expectations kind of thing, like you know, don't want to get too muscly, don't eat too much protein, protein equals mm. muscle, whereas blokes are, like, you, know, you know, blokes are far happier to bulk as well. You, you say bulking yeah. to a woman. Bulking, uh, most women have never bulked. I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably 95% of women have never purposely gone on a bulk. And even suggesting that seems like, ooh, okay, is that something I can do? Great. Um, you know, most women are quite receptive to it, but it's not something they've ever really done before. Whereas I think maybe there's a societal expectation there potentially with, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know this kind of stuff. I could be talking up my ass. Um, but uh, yeah, I think overall it's, it's it's definitely the exception when I've got a girl who likes to eat a lot of protein. Um, but yeah, as you say, if we sort of sort of round it up, I'd say probably the factors we're looking at are satiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're looking at the whole adherence to the diet thing, uh, performance needs. Um, yeah, probably those. Two. I think um, maybe a third point could be having sort of realistic goals within that diet, whether it's um, if someone knows they only have four more weeks to diet, right. it's a lot easier to adhere to than I will be dieting for some time longer, for example. Yeah. Um, so that's sometimes why it's easier to have a, you know, a show date in um, on the calendar or, I don't know, a holiday or whatever else normal people diet for, I'm not too sure, a wedding, something like that. Um, um, then I guess that's where it can change a little bit for maybe more advanced competitors when they don't have shows necessarily because it's more, everything's more on the ball with them as you know, bodybuilding almost is their life. They don't necessarily need those dates in the diary. It's yeah. just, it's what they do. It's, it's their day to day. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just poke on that a little bit more actually, because you mentioned this twice now and I want to, I want to ask you about it because it's something that's been on my mind a lot recently. Um, rates of weight loss. Now, I know at the beginning you said faster weight loss um, that can lead to people falling off the bandwagon. We've said here as well, if there's a deadline, that is a case for maybe tightening up a little bit. Um, I've had quite a lot of success recently in my clients with faster rates of weight loss uh, in terms mm. of adherence, in terms of appetite control, not just, not just like being motivated to stick with it, but actually it's actually attenuating their appetite as well. And I can say it for me yeah. as well. If I start a diet and I'm going balls to the wall straight away, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I, my appetite gets cut more than if I ease into it gently. And 
I don't know why that is. And like, I mean, you know, I quite like my fasting as well. If I take it to the extreme and I do some fasting, my appetite goes right through the floor rather than gets ravenous. And we're, we're an interesting yeah. species in that the more we eat, the more we kind of want to eat, the less we eat, the kind of less we want to eat. But it has to be drastic enough. So I'm in two minds about that. I think traditionally people have always said faster rates of weight loss lead to lack of adherence. But then it's kind of not what I'm seeing. What do you reckon? Mm. That's a good point, actually. Um, me personally, um, during my two preps, I actually worked it out. I averaged a kilogram every week. So off the top of my head, it was roughly a 20-week prep both times, and it was roughly 20 kilos in total I lost. Nice. Um, when it, one thing I do find, though, if it's more of a mini cut, um, which would be similar to uh, you know an average show or whatever uh, that yeah. we're talking about, um, I find that within the first couple of weeks of dieting, if it's only a minor um, decrease, whether it's you know 500 calories, 70 calories from a 5,000 calorie diet, something like that, my training for the first couple of weeks goes fantastic. It's yeah. there's like a jump in strength. I'm almost um, immediately fitter. Um, not that I'm you know taking less rest between sets, but I could if I wanted to, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so. I think it would depend person to person, obviously, but I think there would be a good line to finding out how fast they can lose weight, but maintaining performance, optimal performance in the gym um, and sort of seeing where that line goes. If we're talking about, you know, one of your long-term clients, you'd probably have a good idea. Um, Maybe it can change over time, but if you've worked with someone for four years, you'd know roughly whereabouts they're going to start struggling. Um, I love that. I love that. I I love what you said there. It's like, find out how fast they could diet without losing performance yeah. and go with that. Yeah. I, that's kind of the way I've been approaching things, uh, which is going to mm-hmm. take us to our next point in a moment. But like that's, I just wanted to pick up on that first because I can't really explain it. And I'll be honest with you, I've tried to do the gently, gently approach and I end up spinning my wheels and um, I don't do it straight away with new clients. Well, tell a lie. There is one guy I've got on the books at the moment. Um, now we did, we did two weeks prior to him started working with me. He just kept a food diary for me and Hmm. he went pretty low, but not as low as I've got currently got him on. And then we started off a little bit higher and he still lost some weight. Now we've got him on a very, very extreme cut and his motivation is sky high. um, And he's dropping weight super fast. I've done that before with other clients, but they've been ones who I've worked with before and I kind of know what I'm looking at. So you know what it's like if you've, you can kind of like, I'm sure you could now extrapolate roughly where you, what weight you'd be shredded. You kind of have a rough idea, yeah. you know? So it'd be the same with these guys. I haven't worked with them for a while. I kind of know what we're aiming for. So I can say, okay, if we've got, I don't know, 15 kilos to lose, I know if I can chop off the first seven or eight kilos super fast, then we can ease into it. That put us in a better position to be good for their motivation as well. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to be, more adventurous with my clients in that respect because I do it with myself and I much prefer it yeah. and I don't know why. Yeah. yeah, I think, I know it's a bit of a, a brush, but I think it really just does depend on the person um, at the end of the day, what their goals are. Um, some people will train all the way into a show and barely get any weaker until three weeks out. Yeah. They're probably the people you can <laughs> ball to the wall diet. And then there'll be some people that, you know, I don't know if it's a mental thing, but you reduce their carbs 50 grams and yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden they're losing four reps and every extra space. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there, is, there is quite a lot of a mental factor as well, for sure. Like what I tend to find, oh, if, I, if, I, if I'm doing that, what I'll do is I'll 
direct the training and I'll direct the cardio towards that as well. So I won't have anyone doing anything crazy volume wise. It'll be like very minimal volume, which is difficult for me to do. And that's, that was probably the last piece of resistance I personally had was to reduce my training as well. When I do that, like if I say for the last time I did it, I did a um, push pull legs just once a week and you know me like that would fucking kill me. And I only did one set for exercise <laughs> and I, it, it kind of sucked, but, but it, as I got through the weeks, I thought, you know what, this is actually really easy. And it meant I had a lot of energy to walk around, do more steps, increase more neat. And it all just seemed to fit together really nicely. And that made for a super easy cut. Probably the easiest cuts I've had over the last year have been very fast, using fasting, very minimal training, uh, lots of activity. If I get my steps to about 10 to 15K, and I train maybe probably two sets per body part per week, um, and I go really, really low on calories through fasting, I, I drop fat super quick. Um, it's interesting. And again, it's one of those things, I'll be honest, Ollie, it's one of those things which I've, I rarely talk about with clients and I very rarely talk about on podcasts, but I'm starting to get um, happier to talk about that kind of stuff now because I do it so often that it just seems to work really well. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. you know, maybe it's just a thing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe just... Uh track it a little more try it with a couple of clients if they want to and then once you've got you know a couple of people that are working really well with that it's almost like a not quite evidence but basically evidence yeah i'd say with yourself you you never really get that far out of shape that's the advantage so yeah I think, i'm you know, i'm i'm more of a water buffalo than a than a fat <laughs> like I, I literally hold the niagara falls for me at some point but, you know, I, but at the same time there's probably some theory there that's lubing up my joints and making me stronger and oh, yeah. leverages and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Of course. So, um, yeah. As long as my face doesn't get too puffy, I'm, I'm okay. I can hide the rest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that, that, that's what I mean. I think with regards to your condition, in you know, we were talking about whereabouts you are, like a mini cut and stuff. I think you, you just hold a lot of water. You're not actually that fat at all. And I think most people will be yeah. quite happy to get to your condition in the off season. Just general pop people will be like, I'll be happy to get that lean. You know, uh, yeah. obviously that for them would be like a bit of a milestone. So I think probably the reason that you maybe don't go to fast cuts straight away is probably because you, you're already quite lean. It's just a case of stripping off some water um, and then a little bit of fat loss. Um, like you said, yeah. it's based on the individual, doesn't it, where they're coming from? Yeah, yeah, of course, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting conversation about the fast weight list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to it at some point and probably do a separate podcast on it and maybe document my my more my further experience on it i'll actually get joe on the podcast um because i know he's done quite a lot of that recently as well he's been really balls deep in the uh psmf um sort yeah, of style so, mm. and he's done well with that he's, he's uh he's stripped a lot of weight. yeah he has i think i i think i saw today he's 208 or 218 something like that and i saw yeah. he was two, 250 not so long ago so he got as low as 203 oh was it okay maybe it's 208 years now then that makes yeah. sense yeah, yeah, he got as low as two or three uh, at one point. Anyway, maybe maybe about a week ago. But yeah, those pictures he put up today. Um, he's yeah, what well, he must be rebounded to about two or eight now, or whatever. But uh, no, he's looking lean. But I know he's been doing that. He's probably quite flat at the moment, but he's been doing the whole rapid fat loss uh, with refeeds, mm. which works very well. But that's it's a similar thing to to what I've been doing. So um, I kind of stumbled on it by accident. I was doing very very quick diets, followed by what would be roughly a cheat meal on a Tuesday night after training legs 
and I go to uh, the local uh, takeaway and just get a burger and fries on the way back. Um, nice. And then Saturday night have have a bit of a you know a bit of a blowout with uh, with the missus. Um, that that was basically it, which was very similar to what um, the original PSMF recommendations are. So I'll experiment with it a bit more. Yes, yeah, I was just going to say that the way you've done it is good as well because it allows you to live not necessarily a normal life, but you have some normality when you're out with the missus on a Saturday night, for example. It's almost yeah. um, a couple of hours bodybuilding free yeah. and still get the, you know, the results you would anyway, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I think psychologically it's, it's helpful, but physiologically I'm mm. sure it helps as well because then come Monday, I'll have a good training session and I'm, I'm usually okay until then Tuesday night I'll have another cheat meal and I'm all right until, you know what I mean? It kind of keeps me going just at that minimal level, which is what you want. And um, it is more extreme. Almost. And I guess similar to what we were saying before in regards to adherence, um, those short goals, you're really only dieting hard for three, yeah. three and a half days at a time. You know, like how many times have you dieted for three and a half times, three and a half days perfectly, you know, hundreds. Yeah. So you know you can do it. It's almost a, a mini target within target each week it's an interesting psychology isn't it and i i do wonder why it's not talked about more because i think mm. if we're looking at gem pop it would be a lot of people do the crash diets but it'd be wise for them to do them properly you know with the right guidance yeah. in terms of the right macros which kind of takes us back to <clears throat> the next point going back to what we we're talking about in terms of macros we've kind of discussed protein intake i suppose the next thing to talk about is carbs slash vegetables fruits um i like the fact that you said that because when i am doing this kind of diet i'll definitely emphasize a lot of vegetables <clears throat> of course mm. yeah so what, keep, keep things moving and actually have some volume i guess yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i think in terms of veg like if you're looking at like peppers and uh, mushrooms and brussels sprouts or whatever you can pretty much have a shit ton of those for very little impact so in terms of carbohydrates for someone adherence wise what what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, if I if I was going to give someone a diet, I'd usually do protein first, and then I figure out how much fat they need, yeah. um, and then the rest I just fill as carbs, unless there was a reason not to. Whether it's um, I don't know if it's if they get super bloated after two hundred grams of carbs or, or whatever it is. If there's a I'd, that's the the basic sort of plan that I'd start with, and then edit it from there. So um, it, it might make at, yeah, go on. I was going to say, if we're looking at um, someone on 2,500 calories, I know that they could have 300 grams of protein, uh, I think it's 50 grams of fat, and that would leave about 200 grams of carbs just there, um, yeah. which is a decent amount to start off with yeah. um, for your average person, male probably. How, how much of that would you split between, say, um, fibrous carbs, you know, starchy carbs, all that kind of stuff? Oh, God. Um, most right we're back <laughs> yeah <laughs> perfect um oh yeah um so i do i always do the majority of mine um as i, I don't know what you call them starchy etc etc um with minimal sugars unless it's you know a high calorie diet um so when i'm dieting the only sugars i really get are from fruit i like to have a couple of portions of fruit a day um uh, I, I find it's really good to have fruit mentally. Um, I don't know if there's some science behind that, but I always like yeah. to have fruit at breakfast and um, at my last meal of the day, whether it's blueberries, strawberries, something that's low, because they are relatively low calorie, low carb in the grand yeah. scheme of things. They are, yeah. Um, unless, you're eat, unless you're eating, you know, a kilogram of grapes or something like that, which, 
you know, you've probably got some other issues if you're doing that anyway. Um, but so, yeah, I'd have the, the majority of mine, what I've just called real carbs, to be honest, whether it's um, your potatoes, rice, um, oats and everything else. And then the rest, um, you know, sort of 20% um, others. But like I said, depends on how many calories you're eating. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's kind of what I say. The caveat there is depending on how many calories you're eating. So I'd say, for example, if I've got someone who's on 200 grams of carbs, and they're beginning out, they're starting off, I probably will have, try and steer them towards the majority of that coming from, well, not the majority, but a lot of that coming from vegetables, just simply because they're probably going to have some appetite issues. And it'll go back to that whole glycemic um, index kind of issue. And uh, this is a bit like sketchy because there's so much out there looking at like insulin's the devil. And we know it's not like it's, like insulin's fine. And insulin by itself is actually uh, appetite suppressant. Um, but it's the crash that causes the hunger. Um, so what I tend to find with people, if you, if they're on, say, if they've previously been on say 50 grams of protein, you know, hundred grams of fat, 400 grams of carbs, you know, real shitty fucking diet. And they're not, they're not mm. actually counting it, but just your typical diet, you know, eating lots of crap. And if you try and stretch them down to 200 grams of carbs from there, their appetite, their taste buds will be just fucked up. They were like, no, this is, I'm not having this. I want, I need more carbs. So for them, 200 grams yeah. of carbs would be like, you're actually your stomach thinks your throat's been slit because you know all of a sudden you're getting all this like no food no food coming in and i think for them we've got to say there's got to be a bit more of a value on vegetables in the diet to say we've got to fill you up because for them like for us we could do 200 grams of carbs and we could actually be all right because we're not gorged gorged on carbs all week um you know we've got a much more balanced view we can take it down and we'll probably take it down gradually as well um but for somebody like that coming down to 200 grams it sounds crazy but that for them that's not a lot of carbs like i've had people on 200 grams of carbs and they're literally starving and i'm like <laughs> you know but it's, it's perspective yeah, yeah. isn't it where they're coming from yeah it's like taking a jay cutler down to 500 grams of carbs he'll be absolutely starving that's more than a lot of us will ever eat you know so is that, is that per, per meal per meal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> depends on how much slowly he's taking <laughs> so, but yeah so i think with that i would then i would say I have, i've got a guy at the moment who's who's on a very similar thing and he's on anywhere between 180 250 grams of carbs and i'm looking at his diet all that's doing is it's preventing him from having enough protein in his diet it's making him hungry for sugary sweets and carbs and stuff like that so what i'm going to suggest to him is for a week he just fucks it all off has a ton of vegetables minimal rice and potatoes all that kind of stuff and having his carbs come from sources which are going to fill him up and then see what that does for his hunger and I, it's going back to our point about the extreme diet starting off and maybe this is about starting off really hardcore, getting your appetite under control. Maybe it's to do with the glycemic load. I don't know. And maybe that's sort of where you and I have an advantage in the sense that we're probably fairly stable all year round. We probably don't have those yeah. massive ups and downs of, of, of insulin, but our bodies are able to, and also we've got more muscle. So our bodies are better able to deal with that. Whereas you Joe public, your average guy on 400 grams of carbs a day, 150 grams of fats, hardly any protein. They're getting massive ups and downs, chocolate bars, all kinds of stuff. They, we need the first job for me is to try and get that under control, and that's a big job for some people. Yeah, it will be, and I guess where you could go from there is that almost if you do have someone that's got you know a completely terrible diet and you know it's like that literally every day, maybe the first diet you give them, obviously it's got to be strict, and we'll talk about whether that's a meal plan or if it fits your macros later on. But obviously it's got to be strict, but it can't be too strict yeah. that they 
cheat on day two sort of thing. So whether, I don't know, whether it's you're leaving, you know, half a bowl of cocoa pops a day or something like that, just to, just so it's not so alien to them, I guess. Um, And once again, that would completely depend on the person, but you probably, you've got, I know you've got a pretty informative um, intake document and I imagine you'd sort of take it, a lot of your information from there and sort of work it from there. It's, it's one of those things where I've been, I've probably gone more, I've, been, I've gotten more strict over the years in terms of what I demand. Like initially it was just a case of like, I think what most people on Instagram do, like most sort of fitness pros do is, and I probably did, was guilty of the same. It's like, if it's your macros, you can eat what you like, just make sure it's within your calories. The thing is with that, people take the piss of it. <laughs> it's like, what that means yeah. to me is, is very something very different to what other people mean. I, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the whole idea of um, diet education. It's a large part of what I do at the moment. It tends to be teaching people how to eat, like right from the ground up. And that sounds fucking weird, but a lot of people just will have no idea how to structure their meals. And they'll, whereas you and I will think meal plan, we don't want to be that restrictive. And you're right, by the way, on that point, completely agree with you. And I definitely think they can step back, but. I've had to really fight hard to find that balance between what is too restrictive and then what is giving them enough of a solid structure. Because right at the moment, when they come to me, they typically have nothing. I'm talking about people. This is the the pieces. This is, I think, the difference between working with, potentially working with bodybuilders and working with gen pop. Some gen pop will come to me with, this will be their day. Will be, I'm going to just, I'm too busy to eat in the morning. I'm too busy to eat at lunch. but reality is they're not. They're snacking on crisps and chocolates, you know, whatever they can get their hands yeah. on to get them through the day. Then in the evening, they have a massive meal. And then after that, it's a blowout. To, to take that and to say, fit, if it's your macros around that, it doesn't fucking work. Um, I mean, I know that we'll talk more about this in the meal plan thing, but kind of going back to what I was saying, uh, to go back to the original question of how we got off on this tangent, is I probably would put them on a bit more of, I'm earlier now on the side of putting a more and more of a meal plan, um, a flexible meal plan, but meal plan nonetheless, just because in the, in the most extreme cases, there's no structure at all. And that's a big problem. Yeah. Finding a way to rein them in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I guess that sort of, um, splits us off nicely into meal plans themselves. Anything else you wanted to add on that other point or? Um, I suppose, I suppose just, briefly talk on fat intake i think you know you mentioned minimum fat and fit fat levels uh, what's been the lowest you've ever been fat, fat wise um pre-contest um pretty much fuck all um just you know on a couple of days um of the final couple of weeks um but it, it's not for too long you know there's a refeed not too far away uh some days i'll do more of a zero carb but i might have you know 100 110 grams of fat with the protein mm. um so I've had, you know, next to no fats on some days. If we're talking about a longer term diet, I think my sweet spot is usually sort of 50, 55. Um, if it's a, you know, a recomp, something like that. Yeah. And then as soon as I'm in off season, um, 90 is basically where mine stay the entire time. I am, I do respond well to carbs and carbs is where I like to bulk up my calories personally. Um, but, um, yeah. So once again, it depends on how many calories there are, they are eating and the length of the diet as well. If it's something really short, yes, you can go super low. 
Um, it won't be pleasant, but you can go super low. But if it's something long-term, you can't put, imagine putting a female on 20 grams of fat for a day for eight weeks. Not going to happen. Luck, get, yeah, good luck having a, you know, a healthy hormone system. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's very similar numbers to what I've gone for in the past as well. Um, probably lowest is about 50 grams. And I'll generally sit at about <coughs> 80, 90, even as high as 100, 110. Just you know, roughly that ninety ballpark, um, yeah. which is fine. But for brief periods of time, I've been I've been super low. But again, brief periods of time matched with a cheat meal and a refeed, they're actually not too bad. Um, but yeah, as you say, for long periods of time, I wouldn't want to do that. I've got a guy at the moment on forty grams. He's been on forty grams for a while, and he's happy, healthy, libido's fine. He's losing weight, losing mm. fat, doing very well. So forty, and he's not small either. He's um, tall lad, and he weighs about. He's a very lean now, 90 kilos. So, um, right. yeah, it's, it's okay. He's on about, he's on about 2,000 calories, still, still on a decent amount of calories uh, with a lot of activity. So, yeah, that's about as low as it. But I've got a couple of other guys doing more of a, a rapid fat loss, and they're on about 20 grams per day, Yeah, um, which is tough. But then they also get a refeed and cheat meal as well. So uh, I think as long as it's balanced, you say not for long periods of time. Um, have you ever gone higher or what are your thoughts on like say a Patrick tour might go a little bit higher um we talked about that didn't we the Patrick tour is a little yeah unusual. yeah I'm, I'm just thinking um it's not something I've really tried but that's something I'd, I'd be open to but um in terms of the foods I enjoy um different sources of fat aren't necessarily it to be honest it's just um it's probably a lot of fat as a teenager because I, I love carbs um yeah. So from a personal preference, I'd always put a sort of pin in the fat and then push carbs higher. Um, so I don't, I think I've gone up to about 110 and that's just to get calories higher during the tail end of an off season when you kind of push on last couple of pounds sort of thing. But um, I think his style, he really likes to push those pretty high. Um, and I know I'm, I'm more knowledgeable now, so I could probably, you know, fit that into a diet with good sources than I you know, would have, you know, two, three years ago. Um, but I'm not too sure on, on how I'd do it. What do you reckon? I yeah. guess some people have some issues with digestion, don't they, when fats get too high? Is that right? I was, I was about to say the opposite, actually, weirdly enough. Well, then, then again, no, not the yeah. opposite. No, 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 not the opposite. I was, I was, I was going to say it makes it a hell of a lot easier to get your food down here and be ready for the next oh, meal. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I, I experimented briefly with a period of time where I was on about 150 protein so low protein, about 400 carbs and about 150 fat. And meal to meal was super nice. Like I was digesting things super quickly. Um, so what was that? Probably about 40, 30, 30 grams of fat per meal, which is quite a lot really. Um, and I was, I, everything was digesting really nicely. The, the issue that I found there was I was getting hungry. Oh, really? Which is really weird. Like when I, when I yeah, start pushing the carbs up, um, I, I, that's what tends to keep me full. Which, I mean, I don't know, that makes sense for a diet, I guess. But when I had my fat super high, meal to meal, I was like, great, give me more food. Interesting. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess for me personally, I've got, I've got quite a good appetite. Um, so the, yep. it's very rare, even if I eat completely clean, that I get sick of food. I think yep. maybe if that was an issue, it's something I, I could look into. But I guess I, I just, I've never needed to and I've never tried it yet. Um, but, you know, if, if down the line I'm on 
7,000 calories a day and struggling to grow, that would be the dream. <laughs> and yeah, maybe that's you know, something you'd actually have to push more. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in trying it, definitely. It felt, it felt healthier, sub- subjectively. Uh, but it was a very short-term kind of experiment. It just felt easier on the... You know when you, you do something and it just feels like there's less stress in the body? It kind of felt like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it could be highly individual as well. I don't know. Not that I think I respond poorly to carbs, but this seemed to be a very easily digestible... As I said, the only thing is it left me feeling very hungry. I didn't have the, yeah, really? the bulk from the carbs. It's weird. Mm. What, um, what main fat sources did you use? I, I used... I tried to use a lot of good fats. There's a lot of avocados, um, a lot of olive oil, that kind of stuff, really. Yeah. Um, oh, not many nuts, because I'm not massive big on nuts, but it wasn't really a great deal of saturated fat. It was probably animal fats, seen from red meat, a lot of avocado, and then, yeah, a lot of olive oil. Yeah, most. definitely. Like, for, for fats, um, egg yolk, animal meat, um, and the oils that I cook stuff in, that's pretty much my main sources of fat. Um, I hate nuts and I can't stand avocado either, which isn't great, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not working on it. But um, so I, like I said, just from a, a personal preference, it's you know higher carbs, which is just where I, I naturally set. I'll tell you what was funny. I was put off eating avocados for such a long time because it was just every health nut online was promoting avocados. And I was, like, I was like, fuck that. Exactly like that guy, uh, David Wolf, you know, with the really cookie website. Um, yeah, yeah. He just, they, they called him the avocado man. And uh, I just, it actually put me off eating avocados. It was so fatty. But actually, when I got around to eating them, they were actually quite nice. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> they, they grow really easily here in Australia. So they're. Um, uh-huh. Promoted, promoted left, right, centre year round. Okay. Um, I imagine they have to grow in some form of super high heat or something like that. But um, the supermarkets are always absolutely full of them. Even during COVID, um, yeah. there's still <laughs> loads of avocados on the shelf. Yeah, it affected everything else. Avocados were fine. <laughs> I find they're quite good in um, protein shakes and smoothies because what they do is they, they, um, you know, when you get a, a protein shake and it froths up. They reduce the amount mm. of froth. It makes the protein shake smoother. It makes it easier to eat. It's kind of like if you put peanut butter in your protein shake, it makes it easier. Yeah. It reduces the froth. It's like that. It must be something to do with the fat. So that, that's, quite, that's quite an advantage. So yeah, if we, um, if we move on to then uh, meal plan. Sweet. We've kind of touched on a few points already. And I think my big point for is, is getting a balance right with a meal plan has been working with some gen pop who just have very, very poor eating habits from the off. And they come to me and generally what I ask people to do is keep a log. And you know, when you ask people to keep a log, they're generally on their best behavior. And yeah. even their best behavior is fucking terrible. <laughs> like, this, is, this is bad. <laughs> that That's kind of my, I wouldn't say argument for, but that's where I would start to look at okay, let's, something that Chester said to me when I first started working with him was, let's get some dietary discipline, which I thought was a really good phrase. Dietary discipline. Mm. Uh, that's going to summarize it. It was a way of him telling me to stop being such a fat ass without directly telling me uh, to stop <laughs> being such a fat fuck. <laughs> let's get some dietary discipline. Um, Did that, you look dietary discipline up in the, di- uh, in the, uh, in the dictionary? <laughs> it was like a, it was a picture of my face with like a cross on it like that. <laughs> Fully, fully bulked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Bad times. So, yeah, I guess that would be my argument for um, 
but past past the initial sort of few weeks, what what were your thoughts? Um, so I actually am a fan of meal plans, um, and I sort of do one myself. So maybe if I give an example, of, I guess what I sort of do year round, and then sort of branch off from there. Yeah, yeah. So in in general, I do have a, a sort of meal plan which I stick to. Each day, I usually eat meals in sort of different orders. I always have the same pre-workout meal. I always have fish or chicken and rice. That's just what digests perfectly for me. And I can always train whether it's you know, the heaviest leg session ever. Um, I'm not going to throw up anything like that. And that always works for me. Um, but So I'll have four or five meals that I'll sort of eat every day in different orders. And then I'll also have sort of mental substitutes for those meals. So I don't feel like you know meal four, which is chicken and rice, I know down the road from my office there is a sushi place which does um a couple of different types of sushi which is the exact same macros um obviously just slightly different foods um and i've got that for a couple of different meals so although it's it's sort of like a meal plan with substitutions but as a whole i do believe that a good structure for a lot of us um is not necessary but uh, i guess we always talk about optimal but optimal um just because you know, it, let's take the example of, you know, pushing up in an off season. If you run into digestion issues, this, that, the other, and you're on a meal plan and you've just recently added, I don't know, 40 grams of fat a week or something like that, you'll know that's probably what's caused the issue. If you're on a, if it fits your macros sort of diet instead and every day is completely different, but you're hitting the macros, you're probably not going to have a clue where to <laughs> even start looking where your issues are coming from. Um, so I think that structure, but with a bit of choice, in my opinion, is the best way to go. And it's something I'm able to adhere to, you know, pretty easily. Just having the meal plan, but having a bit of choice, whether it's uh, different options in carbs or, you know, different meals altogether, but just having a, a somewhat structure. What you, what you said there about um, problem shooting, troubleshooting is vital. I think that's really important. And more often than not now, one of the things that I start clients off with is keeping a food diary. I never used to do that before, but keeping a food diary is invaluable to get an idea of what the fuck is going on at the moment, and that's when you kind of start to see problems. I think without that, it, it blows my mind, actually. I never used to do that before, but without that, I, I can't see what they think is a good diet, what they're, what they're eating. what they're And also, yeah. it has a number of other benefits as well, like showing up discrepancies in what they think they're eating versus what they actually tell me the macros are, because that's a big one. Um, that's, you know, it's like the... Here I'm eating, you know, 1,200 calories, and then looking at the food diary shows that they're quite clearly not, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I don't feel quite as bad when I have to slash the calories down even further because they're not actually eating that; they're eating more like you know 2,000. But um, problem shooting is a big one. So I think, yeah, if you don't have a meal plan, if you don't actually have a structure, you're not going to be able to fix something when it's going wrong because you really have no idea. It's it's all a big, like a big mess. It's just numbers on a screen, and one person's. One person's 200-250 split could look completely different to another person's 200-250 split. Um, yeah, absolutely. I like what you said as well about um, familiarity of meals. I'm going to just share the screen with you a second. I'm going to show you something. This guy here, can you see that? Yeah. yeah it's just, oh, yeah, there we go. This guy, I had him on a podcast um, a while back. He's a really nice guy called Harry. Um, but he put this up recently. He said, uh, muscular lean physique checklist, five training sessions per week, same breakfast, lunch, and snack daily. Which I thought was quite interesting. And I thought was in this, in the whole 2020, you can't be right, you can't be wrong, um, 
do what you like <laughs> um, sort of, you know, diet culture. I thought it was actually kind of brave in a sense because he's got quite a big following. And I thought that was quite brave, but he's quite happy to say, you know what, eat the same breakfast, lunch and snack daily. Maybe have a bit of variety afterwards. But I thought that was, yeah, I thought fair play to you, you know, because it does work. Like that's exactly what you're saying. Have that basic structure there. Have a bit of flexibility built in, but have your basic structure so you know what the hell's going on. You have some consistency. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think that's a, I think that's actually kind of what I do thinking about it just because mm. it is usually my first four or five meals, which are the same every day. Yeah. And then I'll just change up. I know, I know for, um, my last meal, I almost always have, um, 60 proteins, 75 carbs and 30 fat with that. You can do pretty much anything meal wise. Yeah. Um, so whether I want another steak meal or another chicken meal or an omelet, something like that, you know, cereal and a protein shake, I can literally do anything with that last meal. And that's my post, post, post meal. So it's not as if I need to keep fat slow or anything like that. Um, well, see, that's just at the moment anyway. It's interesting you say that you can do anything, but all the options you listed are actually decent food. Like when, when, when you're saying do anything, you're not meeting, you're not meaning protein shake and pop tarts. Yeah. Like you're, still, you're not being a dick with it. You know, you know what I mean? You're not being, a, you're not being an asshole with it. You're, you're actually doing a reasonable yeah, approach. Yeah. 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 No, that's exactly it. If I have leftover carbs, I usually have fruit before bed and that's yeah. just, um, you know, something, uh, I personally enjoy. I think, most most bodybuilders, I don't think, actually eat enough fruit. I think it's very easy to get into um, just eat broccoli as your main source of nutrients. Um, yeah. And luckily, I don't like broccoli, so um, yeah. <laughs> I can experiment with other things. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think part of the reason probably that you've one, you've got a good relationship with food. Maybe a large part of that is you've always been well fed. You've always had calories quite high. You've always looked at pushing calories higher, getting bigger because your focus is on the right things, which is building muscle. And um, it kind of goes back to another broader point when we're looking at adherence to the diet, which is what kind of the whole thing is about. A big part of what I, another bit of a tangent here, but a big part of what I like to get people to do is start weight training. A lot of people come to me and they don't really do a great deal of weight training. I mean, especially now because of COVID, but even prior to that as well. They were, and I don't think there's any excuse not to this day and age. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you what, there's, a big, there's still a big sort of mis, um, uh, a disconnect between what people should be doing, like either cardio stuff or weight training. And for the most part, I'm not a massive fan of cardio, and people are often surprised with that. Uh, for you and me talking about it, I mean, that's pretty standard. It's like lift fucking weights. Don't worry too much about the cardio. It'll get done when it needs to get done. Yeah. Should be there. If, you've got a, if you're very, very pressed on time, and you got a choice of three sessions per week, they should probably be weights, or at least two of them should be weights. And then after that, feel free to crack on with a little bit of cardio. But um, that, as I say, going back to you, you've got your priorities right because you're always trying to get bigger in terms of muscle. And that's always going to make your calories go higher. Like typically, if we say between how much you're eating now to say five years ago when you first started with, with, um, with Alex, roughly, you just give us a breakdown of calories. Yeah, I actually can perfectly. Um, yeah. This is a sort of shit I remember. So the first, <laughs> Um, we were dieting slowly is well recomping is basically the first thing you had me do and I was on 220 protein 235 carbs and about 60 fat which would be what about 2600 yeah yeah and that was that was me losing weight quite slowly but recomping nicely and now I've during COVID which I you know, well, I had 12 weeks off the gym, basically, apart from, you know, home workouts and whatnot. And I maintained on 4,500 calories, which was 300 protein, 450 carbs. 
uh, 95, I think, something like maybe 500 cars, something like that. Um, and that was maintenance. So, in, so I guess to perfectly show you that yeah. 2,000 more calories um, yeah. in a three-year period. Just want to emphasize that for people listening, like that is Ollie not doing a massive amount of cardio. He does steps because he walks to work and back, but aside, but that's just staying active. Anyone can do that. Anyone can just stay active yeah. and walk, you know, do a little bit of walking. I mean, even, on, even during lockdown, I'm walking, still do my 10K steps because that's really just a half an hour walk in the morning uh, before I start work and then another half an hour later in the day at some point, as well as just moving around the day. That's really all it is. That's my 10,000 yeah. steps. And then all you've done is progressively push your body weight higher, push your muscle base higher over the course of the last few years. And you're eating, yeah, essentially 2,000 calories more to get the same result. About, yeah, 1,500, 2,000 calories more to get the same result. This is where your, people's energy should be, in, is staying active, getting more active, building more muscle. And that goes for men and for women because there can be quite a big difference. And I, I'm pretty sure, like right now, my metabolism is faster than when I was in my 20s. In fact, no, I'm 100% mm. sure it is for that reason, just building more, more muscle. Um, yeah, do you still come across people who, you know, go with the whole like cardio bandwagon rather than weights? Um, no one's smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the good thing to say there. Um, I've, I mean, <laughs> from a basic standpoint, uh, resistance training has so many different health benefits to the average person, whether it's there's like even you know bone density and stuff like that in old people like you'll have like my granddad uh, for example is 84 and he goes um to a, like an old person's class uh, nice. twice a week nice, and nice. that's you know very lightweight but it, it's resistance training that they're doing yeah um and and so obviously the rest of us are a little bit younger than that hopefully um just a little bit um it's so much more beneficial and that's without even adding that um, quite simply, you do normal, you know, fast, uh, normal cardio, steady state cardio, you'll burn 300 calories. You train in the gym, resistance training, maybe you burn 200, but your metabolism is boosted for what, 48, 72 hours afterwards? Yeah, there was that really good piece of research from uh, Scott Stevenson, which looked at epoch um, in weights and heavyweight training being far greater than epoch from high intensity interval classes and i've written about that on my uh, on my instagram before this whole idea that the afterburn from because that's what these high intensity trainers sell their classes on i, I should say interval trainers they sell their classes on they're being massive amounts of epoch lots of calorie burn in reality is it's fuck all and you get far more from just doing a heavy set of squats and deadlifts um so yeah uh, the to the, the calorie burning the acute calorie burning doesn't hold water either but I think possibly the research is maybe a little bit skewed just because no one's doing a five-year study on this kind of stuff where you're actually going to build a huge yeah. amount of muscle. Because that's, that's what we're looking at, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think, I think the data, for whatever reason, the data on building muscle isn't, and the calories it burns isn't that positive anyway. Like it works out to be, I think, about six, six calories extra per pound of muscle. But that's not true in my experience. No, 100%. I think... Uh, I think you're basically quoting Patrick Tor then. I think he said something very similar in a recent interview that on paper, you know, it's, it's not many more calories, but when we look at every single bodybuilder, um, oh, okay. yeah. that, that, that has, you know, a head on their shoulders, um, they they haven't gained 300 pounds of muscle, but their metabolism is way faster than what, what would that be? 1800 calories faster. Yeah. So there's definitely other factors that come into play. I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't see that that he said that, but that's without a doubt been my experience. Um, and for the guys who have gotten bigger under me, like if you look at um, 
I haven't had that many muscle gaining clients recently just because of fucking COVID. But uh, like, look at Mark. <laughs> ben. Like Ben's maintaining now on 3,500 calories. He's a big boy. Um, Mark, Natty, maintaining on 3,300 calories. Um, and just decent amount of activity levels. And they're all a lot bigger now, probably put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle underneath me. Um, it helps so much. And it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't seem to work. There's got to be something. Maybe it's, maybe it's just people getting more active as a result of being more muscular. I don't know. Maybe it's just... It could be, um, it could be that their body is just becoming more efficient um, with everything. Um, if you think about it, the longer your body builds, sort of the better you get at it. And I think some yeah. of that is to... Obviously, you executing movements and your diet better than ever. I do think there is some merit to your body just reacting to everything you do better as you do it more often for longer, if that sort of makes sense. It, it does. And I want to clarify that point because people will hear efficiency and say, well, that should mean the energy intake goes down, energy output goes down. But it's not true, actually, because with greater efficiency, you can work harder. We know that for certain. So the more advanced a, a we know this from the research on endurance athletes, the better you are at um, an endurance sport, the more calories you actually burn. So like elite marathon runners, they will burn the most amount of calories per hour of running compared to say beginner level. So efficiency helps. You getting better means you can push your body harder. So efficiency absolutely helps. So I think people will listen to that and go, well, efficiency should mean you get more for less, but it's not true. It means you can do more for more. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Hmm. That's a good point. Uh, what's next? So we, we, we're very good at going on tangents. We are, we are. I, don't, do the I, think, time. That, I think that came from, uh, <laughs> from meal plans. <laughs> do, do the timestamps so on this will be a killer. Um, I, reckon, I reckon we finish off with cheat meals. We, we kind of talk about yeah. that. So I've been, um, I've been back and forth on cheat meals. I'm currently a bit more in favor of them under certain specific circumstances. So where I don't like them, I don't like them. I don't particularly like them in the off season because I think you should be eating enough during the off season to be able to um, mix it into your macros like you, like you do for your last meal. You should be eating enough where you can actually just have a flexible approach and you don't necessarily need a blowout meal. Also, you shouldn't necessarily psychologically want one because I remember when I was full on bulking 4,000, 4,500 calories, I couldn't fit a cheap meal in and that's really where you need to be. And if not, then you've got to look at your food options. In regards to general me- medium-level cutting, I don't like it um, for the psychological reasons. I'm, I, I think there's a, I'm quite big on the whole food platability hypothesis right now. This whole idea of like you can spike your appetite. And I think if you're on a very strict diet, but not extreme fat loss, all the cheat meals, prob- it seems like a bit of a relief, but all it really does, does it gives your taste buds an insight into what they could have. And I think it, it generally seems to spike the hunger. I mean, I know that for certain, it seems to spike the hunger the day after. Um, so under certain circumstances, yes, they're very extreme. And they're probably dipping into ketosis if they're going that extreme. Like a guy on a rapid fat loss who's on maybe 1,000 calories a day, um, he's probably in ketosis. So a, a cheat meal isn't really going to do much damage in terms of glycemic load. It's he'll be right back into it um for general fat loss i I probably try and avoid him yeah what what do you reckon yeah um i think it will completely depend on the person sort of as you said once again i know to be fair that could be the answer for every question we've asked today but um i'll give a couple of examples to try and um uh try and explain that as you said off-season bodybuilder um pushing their weight up struggling to get the food in if you're doing it right you won't want a cheat meal believe me (laughs) 
Um, and obviously there's other factors in there that when you're eating that many calories, a huge cheat meal, it could ruin your digestion for the next day, make it that much harder to get the meals in. Um, so off season, uh, the odd cheat meal maybe, but to be fair, you can fit those into your macros. If you're eating enough, you could, you know, change two meals into a healthy burger and fries or, or something like that if you want to be that desperate for one. Um, then if you're dieting, I think personally what me and Alex have always done is at the start of prep for psychological um, benefits, have you know a cheat meal whenever you need one, whether it's every two or three weeks, something like that. Because at that point, calories are still pretty high. Um, performance is probably should be your best ever, I think. The first half of prep, I think that's literally only performance is your, your very best, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so in that case, the cheat meals would literally just be for a bit of a psychological boost. And then as soon as you get into you know the real tail end of prep, eight, 10 weeks, maybe 12 weeks, that's when it's definitely refeeds rather than cheat meals. Yeah. Not looking at, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, one for donuts, but you're not going to eat 12 fucking donuts as a cheat meal or something like that when you're eight weeks out. Or at least you shouldn't, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I think once you get, as a competitor, once you certainly get to lower levels of body fat, you're getting more serious, you're getting close to the show, you definitely look at um, refeeds, which obviously we've got a good amount of, uh, and diet breaks, as we've talked about before. Um, we've got a good amount of science that sort of supports that as well. Because um, I think with cheat meals, I, I guess the um, insinuation there is that it's you know very high carbs, very high fat. When with a refeed, we're usually lowering the protein a bit, uh, so systematically lowering the fat a little bit maybe too, and then yeah. just pushing the carbs up to boost up metabolism over a couple of days. That's right. Um, yeah. Hopefully more than a couple of days. Yeah. Um, but you know, with cheat meals, it, it leaves the, the door wide open. Like, a cheat meal for me or you, it might just be a thousand calories, but there could be someone else eating really binge that can eat fifteen thousand calories in one yeah. sitting, and then just undo three weeks work. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I always I I struggle with the the whole the concept, particularly if I'm working with Gen Pop, because I come from a bodybuilding background myself, and so when I get somebody who who you know says you yeah, I'm starting a diet with you, but he's Gen Pop and he's like, look, I need to eat X, Y, and Z. I need to eat this. I need to eat that. I have to resist just. Saying, dude, stop being such a fucking pussy. You're on a diet, <laughs> but because you know it's a case of all right, we've got to build in moderation. You know, like you said right at the beginning, you've got to give them a bit of a, you've got to give them somewhat. You know, to you can't be overly strict. But it it, it comes down to definition of like what is overly strict. And some people do still want to take the piss with that, and so you've got to try and pull them off the edge and go, look, a cheat meal or a treat is not something that you need to have every single day, and that's. Like, do, you, do you find that with Gen Pop? It's like, I've got to have a chalky boy every single day. It's like, ah, do, you, do, you, do you fucking really? Are we not on a diet? Uh, well, I mean, I guess going back to like the first thing I mentioned in the example, like the office dieter. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, hopefully none of my the people from my office ever listen to our podcast. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I don't mention names, but I do, I do mention them. If, uh, if you are listening, hi. Um <laughs> But they'll, um, as a whole, you know, they'll sort of diet for six, for six days maybe and then have a cheat day. Yeah. And it's just like, you're dieting for six, six days. You, you want to lose 10 kilos. Yeah. Do you really need a cheat, do you really need a cheat day? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you've had a cheat life. Like, just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I'm all about the cheat life. 
<laughs> yeah yeah no it's uh, but you know you've i guess i i try and be more balanced with that but yeah sometimes i'm like holy fuck dude you know you've got to you got to pull back at some point uh but then it gives it, it, this, just ask them why yeah that's what i do to jen pop it's just oh yeah somebody's gonna be my cheat day i go yeah. why <laughs> it is like uh, I I gotta enjoy life. It's like really, is there anything else to enjoy in life? Just stuff in your face. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. a bit harsh, but I just think like uh, something like that every single day. I don't know. I just think that's uh, it's okay. Reliance. It's like it's like an alcoholic who wants to have a drink every single day. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe that's an extreme example, but I don't know. It, you may want to sort of question, as you say, why? Why do you need that? Why do you feel you need that? Yeah. I think realistically, most people can go without. Um, but it also then it makes it difficult for them because if they're spending, say, 300, 400 calories on some junk food every day, and that's they're not going to have massively high intakes anyway to begin with. They, might, they may well be under 2,000 just to begin with because they're not that active, they don't have much muscle mass. That's quite a lot of the diet taken up with shit, which is not going to fill them up. Mm. Like, sure, it feels nice yeah. at the time, but it's also three or 400 calories which aren't potatoes, which aren't chicken, which isn't going to fill you up, you know? So it's kind of like backfires. Mm. Yeah. It's probably also worth noting there that, um, not to criticize Jen Pop, but the average person, if you let them have one chocolate bar in a day, are they going to stop at a chocolate bar? Um, I mean, I personally can, after, you know, sort of 10 years on and off of bodybuilding and, you know, taking control of my diet. The average person that, you know, has shown that they haven't got, um, I don't want to say mental capacity. I want to say uh, ad- sort of adherence to you know general um, sort of dieting rules per se. Um, they're going to find it a lot harder to sort of turn that switch off after they've had a chocolate bar or something else. I'll say, I'll say on that, I think that's probably most people. I think what you're describing with yourself is a good relationship with food. I'll say that's probably most people. And I'll tell you, this, I'll tell you why. One, the research seems to support that most people will struggle. Most people will say struggle with overestimating how much they do, underestimate how much they eat. And I had an interesting example of this recently. There's a guy who I have on the books at the moment. He's always been skinny, always been naturally lean. And we've just done a long book and um, we've mostly maintained through COVID and we're now doing a bit of a cut. He's found it quite difficult to actually cut weight because for the first time, his calories are quite high and he's used to eating quite a lot now. He never used to be eating much before. And uh, I've got to cut his calories and... He, the last two weeks have been completely off plan for him. Um, and he, he's finding it very difficult to actually cut down in calories. And I said to him, look, this is quite an important lesson because it's like people who underestimate how much they eat, they come in all different shapes and sizes. And they could be bodybuilders. The only, the only advantage that bodybuilders have is we tend to weigh stuff out. So we've got a better idea. But left ad lib, they're probably going to fuck up just as much as other people. So it's, a, it's an interesting one. I think it's a trait that a lot of people share. I think a guy who's, say, naturally skinny, has never really had to deal with that because they don't normally have the the, the, the fat number of fat cells capacity to actually yeah. get to the point where they're super overweight. Whereas someone who's, they may, and they may be doing things just as wrong as someone who's overweight, but people will look at someone who's overweight and go, well, that person's lazy and they're you know, overeating, but it happens to everyone. And I think what, what you've got is you've got a very good relationship with food, which is credit to you that you've come through bodybuilding with a good relationship with food. But I'd say that is probably a very general point for a lot of people. You probably notice a lot of bodybuilders who are quite fucked up in the off season as well because of that. Yeah, that's true. Especially the first couple of weeks after the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough one. I, there's, there's a lot of parallels between gem pop and, and competitors, which are, you know, we've we've been quite down on gem pop, but actually they're a lot easier to work with for the most part. Um, yeah, but I've I found with some bodybuilders who I've worked with 
because they put so much pressure on themselves, there's a lot more of that snapping back. Um, and there's a lot more, mm. maybe the pressure leads more to like eating disorder type behavior. I don't know. But I think, I think in general, rather than try and sort of, rather than me try and generalize per group, I think it's probably just the case that most people do struggle with them, with, with it. And it's just some, only some people compete probably is the best way I could word it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think with everything we've spoke about, I guess it's probably a, a good idea. I mean, if they are getting coaches or, or anything like that to sort of get on a some somewhat set sort of meal plan and then yeah. sort of on the macros we've discussed and then sort of change from there because it is completely personal. Obviously, we can put good general you know uh, guidelines and whatnot, but it is so personal dependent uh, end of the day. Um, so some guidelines to start off with and then... You know, week by week, you sort of figure out where your body works best or maybe where even your, your mind and psychology sort of works best. Like if, if you're going to fall apart every week because you can't have a cheat meal, then maybe, you know, it's worth that person having one. Yeah. I, I like what you said there about having a plan because that's actually, I've looked quite a lot into uh, binge eating research and some of the things that they say, which are concrete strategies, scientifically proven to work are having a meal plan weirdly enough no, really? yeah yeah because it provides two it's just stability in two factors one in food composition and again exactly what we've talked about pro high protein mm. higher fat intakes and less for up and down of glycemic load so carbs in themselves as you know they're, they're very they're very good they're very good for performance but carbs in isolation maybe with higher fats don't tend to leave your stomach very full for very long so this tends to be quite quick gastric emptying so what we want to do is have the protein high and the fats high, relatively high, you know, and then the carbs more moderate. So there's less, the speed of the of the your of the, that gastric emptying is, is down. So yeah. it provides good benefits for composition, but also for timing. And again, so again, similar to what you said, all the things that you do, all the things that bodybuilders do, are pro binge eating research, which is quite interesting if you think about it. So the right way to do things: space your meals out throughout the day, have a good combination of proteins, fats, and carbs, have a balance, and then. An additional factor for them is also to keep a food diary and relate each meal to hunger levels. So it's quite an interesting concept. Mm. So I've, I've had people do that before. So like this is what you know during the initial food diary, um, they'll do a food diary. And let's say morning, they'll maybe have a cup of tea, go to work, get really busy. Twelve o'clock, they'll have their first meal, and their food hunger rating is like nine or ten. They're fucking starving. Yeah, you know, and then it all goes to shit from there. And that, again, probably describe people who you work with. And I think that's. That, that that so what we're talking about is actually as brutish as, as it sounds sometimes it's actually very good strategy and you know people could learn a lot from bodybuilders in that respect listen to us guys end of podcast boom <laughs> <laughs> lift heavy weights have a meal yeah. plan <laughs> but yeah, be flexible exactly. yeah and i think one of the things on, i guess the psychology of a meal plan if if their meals are all prepped and ready and they know they can't eat anything else yeah. it's quite it's in theory could be easy to stick to one of the reasons why i think um intermittent fasting was so popular was because the majority of people uh, even myself included they're going to binge at night whether they're bored watching tv chilling with a partner that sort of thing if you know you can't eat a fucking thing after 7 p.m it doesn't you, you can't make the bad decision because you can eat nothing it doesn't matter if it's carrot sticks which turns into hummus which turns into cheese, which turns into ice cream, which turns into cookies or, or anything like that, nothing. So it's the same sort of psychological almost uh, switch off, closed door, however you want to describe it. It's, 
Yeah, and two things again, which two things again, which we do quite well as bodybuilders, again, which support the binge eating research is we we eat quite a lot during the course of the day. So when it comes to the evening, we're not actually as hungry. So there's less chance of us binging. That's another cue that they say. A lot of people will do that. They'll binge in the evenings or in the weekends. And one line of thought used to be that people, that's when people get bored. And that's probably true. But it's also the fact that they've not really been eating a great deal during the course of the day. So they just have a blowout in the evening. And then in the week, on the weekend, they're like, oh, I've hardly ate anything except for the massive blowouts Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm going to eat a lot as well. So it all, it all ties into what we're saying. It's like eat a lot, but just balance it out throughout the day and have a structure, mm. but, but be flexible yeah. within that structure. Um, yeah, the whole, the whole flexibility of dieting, that's a whole other conversation um, for another day. But then the flexible attitudes for dieting, that has a high correlation with being, having a healthy relationship with food. So again, having the flexibility to change your meals around, like you said about the sushi place, you know, that gives you flexibility or your last meal of the day that flexibility is again very pro binge eating research it's amazing isn't it it all ties together really nicely yeah it's just it's a gray area but not quite as gray as perhaps before yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's and we can say that bodybuilders people think that the, the, the dietary structure is overly restrictive but there's actually a lot of pros and hopefully we've kind of connected that with bodybuilding lifestyle with actually gem pop there's a lot that gen pop could learn from bodybuilding lifestyle, particularly if they struggle with food. Um, and that's, you know, that's something to be said. I think that's something that was lost with the if it fits your macros crowd. Cause it was all very kumbaya, eat what you like, but that's not helpful for someone who's got a bad relationship with food. No, definitely not. And makes them a lot less likely to actually stick to said macros. Once you've eaten, you know, um, 150 grams of whey and then Skittles and then peanut butter. There's not yeah. much, if you're, if you're dieting, there's not much room for it. People were doing that though. People were doing that, you know? A hundred percent. No, I, yeah. I remember I used to be a member on um, uh, bodybuilding.com. I don't know if you yeah. remember the MISC. Um, obviously, a lot of memes, a lot of funny threads there, but I remember there was always, um, if it fits your macros crew, first of all, they're all small. I'll tell, I'll tell you that right yeah. now. Yeah. They never really got anywhere in their off seasons, cut their off seasons short. And they all ate, you know, 80% was crap food. And I, I bet their digestive systems were screaming out. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a whole joke, wasn't it? Like whey protein shakes and uh, Pop-Tarts. That was the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And That's exactly it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, no, no shortcuts in that respect. But as I say, it's, it's nice that we can link the two, whereas bodybuilding diets tend to get quite a bad rep. And I think they maybe get a bad rep because sometimes people take it too far, it could be overly restrictive. And we've talked about that. Yeah. We've touched on that. We've touched on how you need flexibility. But done properly, done right, it can actually be a very therapeutic diet for the large majority of people. And what I teach for my clients, I call it bodybuilding nutrition. That's what I call it. I refer to yeah. it as bodybuilding nutrition. And I, I put the positive spin on it to say, look, there's actually a lot we can learn from. from. So, um, I like that. I really like that. That's sort of the way we've kind of ended this because that's almost quite a nice, it's a nice, nice point to end on. Cause I think it's also quite a nice name for the podcast as well. The bodybuilding nutrition talking through that. Mm. So I think there's, it's, we've managed to kind of marry together the two. Um, it's very good for performance, but there's also a ton of benefits in terms of people who don't have the best relationship with food. You mind people who might not necessarily binge, but they just don't have a great relationship with food overall. Yeah, you're right. It's, the whole thing's an interesting topic, and me and you right now could probably talk for another eight hours straight um, and not really get much further, but yeah. just discuss you know, all the little uh, nook and cranny of you know, what we've discussed today. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, topic which will always evolve 
slightly, but we always seem to come back to the same sort of principles, which is good because it means bodybuilders are right. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Right. Cheers, Ollie. I'm going to call it there. Nice one. Nice one. Thanks, mate. Cheers.